If you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 4. We are uh, in week two of a series that we're going to do for most of this summer. Christy started it off last week with a great job preaching on Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. Today we are looking at Psalm number 4, the book of Psalms, chapter 4. Um, if you would like to have a Bible to follow along with, there should be some black hardcover Bibles um, in the pew there. I, I'll be reading out of the NIV translation. The words will be up on the screen as we, as we go through this today. So, the book of Psalms, and Christy kicked this off last week and gave a little bit of an introduction, but if you are new or newer to the Bible, the book of Psalms is a collection of writings. It's actually written by a number of different authors. Um, we know a lot of them are written by King David from the Old Testament, David and Goliath, that David. Um, he wrote a lot of the Psalms, some were written by the sons of Korah, or one actually by Moses, Asaph, Solomon wrote some, and a lot of them, or many of them, don't have an author attributed to them. So several different authors, over quite a stretch of time, wrote the book of Psalms. It's a collection of writings. Some of them are written, actually today's is one of these, some of them are written for public worship. They're writings that would be turned into songs, that would be used in the public worship in the temple, and some were written for private devotion. Um, many are in response, and this is what I love about the book of Psalms, many are in response to events that were happening at the time. Um, and so if you have a basic study Bible that you're reading, most Bibles at the top of the chapter where it says Psalm 4, this one doesn't say a specific instance, but a lot of them will say, you know, this was written by David when he was fleeing for his life from King Saul, or this was written by David when he had a, his son Absalom was rebelling against him and trying to take over the throne. And then a lot of the study Bibles, which is why I love kind of doing a little in-depth study, will tell you the scripture verse so you can go into Chronicles or Kings or wherever it is and read about what was happening. And then you can read what David wrote or what Moses wrote or what some of the other authors wrote during these times. Um, so I encourage you to read them. If you have a Bible or if you have a study Bible especially, they'll give you little those extra little notes or things that you can, you can do, do a little more in-depth research. So today is Psalm 4. It was written by King David. It doesn't mention a specific instance that David was writing about, but a lot of scholars believe that it's connected with Psalm 3, that the two of them would have gone together. And in Psalm 3, it says that this was written by David when he fled from his son Absalom. David's son Absalom staged a rebellion, tried to have his father killed and take over the throne, and these were the psalms that David wrote during that time. Um, and so we're going to read through, actually it's eight verses. In addition to that, Christy had the wonderful idea to have a summer scripture challenge in the book of Psalms. So we're encouraging you people in the summer, you pick a psalm, pick your favorite one. It's nice because you can pick a shorty if you want. Uh, psalm, I think it's, is it 117 or 17? It has like two verses. So that one's exempt. Anyone can do that one, right? But Psalm 4 example for today would be a great one. And I'm going to memorize this one. This has a verse in it that I quote all the time and I'll talk about that in a moment. But it's eight verses. We're going to read through it today. If you'd like to memorize a few psalms with us this summer, we'd love to have you do that. Um, and one thing also that jumps out right away before we dive in, in my Bible, and maybe it does in yours, at the top in the little subtitle, it says, for the director of music. And it also says, with stringed instruments. So David not only was saying, we're going to do this in the temple for worship, but he was also kind of micromanaging the instruments that were to be used with stringed instruments. But here's why I point that out. Here's why I'm pointing it out. He's writing this to be a song, to be something that would be sung in the temple. 
sung during worship. So I want to get on my soapbox just for a moment and talk about singing in church. This is not what the sermon's about today. This is just a little appetizer. Um, Singing in church. Why do we come to church and sing? Um, Some of us, uh, we go to church and we just stand there and we're like, how long are they going to sing? Singing in church is weird. Why do we have to sing in church? And so we just stare at the words on the screen. Even though we've stared at the words of these songs a hundred times before and we know them by heart. You know, this. why do we have a time when we come in and sing? Why do we do that? Well, here's what I love about these passages of Scripture. Here's what I love about a time of worship when we come and we sing a song together. It doesn't matter if you like the song or the style of music. A lot of churches treat the worship time as like, here, you know, we're going to put on a great performance and you get complaints from people. The music's too loud or too soft or it's too, you know, too many hymns or not enough hymns. It's not about the songs that we're singing. But why we sing in church is because it is probably the most unifying thing that we can do as the body of believers. Okay, think about that. We're coming together. We've all had circumstances this week. We all have lives. We're all involved in so many things. And we come together for this time, and we carve out 15 minutes where we're going to sing together. We're singing about God. We're singing about the truths of who God is. And so together, we're singing a song. We're singing the same words. We're proclaiming the same truths. So it's something that is very unifying to the body of Christ. But it's also something that is just, there's just a profound impact when we go beyond hearing about the words of God, hearing about who he is, hearing about his faithfulness, and when we choose to proclaim it. There's something that happens in our brains when the words that we speak or sing or the things that we declare. So that's why we want to have times where we sing, and that's why whoever's leading worship will encourage you to sing along. This is not just to fill 15 minutes, you know, for all the latecomers to come in and find a seat. This is where we can be unified as the body of Christ and proclaim the truths of God with our mouths. Together, we can proclaim his faithfulness. We sang songs today. You are faithful. Faithful you are. All your promises are yes and amen. There's something profound when we would lift our voice and proclaim those things. So I want to encourage you, and we will continue to encourage you at Homestead. If, you're, if you don't feel like raising your hands, if you don't feel like standing up, that's, you know what? We want to get there. Those are signs of worship to God. But I want to encourage you. Just sing. Just open your mouth and sing a little bit. You don't have to be a good singer. Okay, the people standing next to you might not have been good singers today, but they were singing out. And some of you know who I'm talking about. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I want to encourage you, just sing. It can be quiet. It doesn't have to be good. But there's something about collectively pooling our voices together to declare the truth of who God is. So that's my soapbox. I'm all done with that. Psalm 4, I'm going to read verse 1. We're going to start out with verse 1. It says this. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress, have mercy on me, and hear my prayer. So right away, we can tell that David is in the midst of a stressful season, of a battle, of a trial. He is in distress. And I love that he said, in my distress, where do I go, what do I do? And, and that's, I thought about that today, and that's the main idea of our sermon today. In our distress, where do we go? What do we do? In our distress, so let me just ask you this for real. When you are stressed out for whatever circumstance, serious, not so serious, whatever it is, where do you go? What do you do? Where do you go? What happens to you? Like, you can start thinking. You know, in our house, for example, we have people, when they're under stress, we have people that kind of shrink down and retreat. 
We have people that freak out. We have people that eat their feelings and get crabby, and that's just me, okay? That's just what I do. And then we have five others in the house that do all sorts of things. When I'm in distress, you can see all these things. And as I grow older and mature a little bit, I start to try to recognize, okay, I'm thinking these things and I feel like saying these things, but what's really going on? Perhaps I should uh, keep some more things to myself because maybe I'm under distress. Maybe I'm going through something right now. And that's the main idea of today's sermon is this. We follow David's lead as we'll read. In times of distress... Walking with God has real impact on your life. If you get anything from today, that's it. In times of distress, walking with God, not just believing in him, but taking steps, following him, walking with God, having that relationship with him, has real tangible impact on our life. And we see that if you followed God long enough, maybe when you've gone through a stressful season, you've seen that your relationship with God, that he has stepped in and he has miraculously changed circumstances. Maybe that is the experience you've had. Other times it happens that when we walk with God through stress, through distress, our perspective changes. God allows us to see things differently. And oftentimes we walk through the stressful season and we just know that God is with us, that God is walking with us as a good shepherd, as Christy preached about last week and did such a great job, that he is a good shepherd. So when we walk with God, there is real, tangible impact on our life. So David begins this psalm, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Now this idea... I just I want to point this out too. This idea of going to God for help when you are in a time of need was a very new idea or a very foreign concept certainly to the surrounding nations. At this time in history, you know, several thousand years ago, all not just the nation of Israel, but all the surrounding nations, everybody had this concept of there were gods. And, you know, they didn't have a concept of how the solar systems and weather patterns worked. So they just thought, you know, some seasons it rains and the crops grow. And then some seasons it doesn't rain and we can't grow any crops. And they would just think, well, that's up to the gods. So they had a god for the sun and they had a god for the rain. And they had a god that they would offer sacrifices to. So this idea of gods was very prevalent in all the nations. But the idea of a god who was loving, who would hear your cries who would step in and help. This was foreign. Everybody would have had the tradition of there are gods who orchestrate things, but they are distant, and they are not interested, and they are not loving, and they are not interested in helping us. They are far off, and if we can do enough sacrifice to appease them, and they throw us a bone, so to speak, and make it rain on our crops, that was their view of God. And David right away is saying, his God, God, have mercy on me. Hear my cries for help. Hear my cries from help. Give me relief from my distress. I call to you, my righteous God. This was a relationship with God that was a very new idea in that time. Next verse, verse 2. I'll read actually verse 2 through 4. How long, and this is where David kind of turns and talks to other people at the moment. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Again, that idea would have been so foreign to other people. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your heart and be silent. 
David is talking to other people, and he brings a rebuke to the other people of God. Because what he has seen in other people is their devotion to God is fine when things are going smooth, but as soon as distress comes along, as soon as circumstances go difficult, they run to a false god. They desert the one true God, and they go to their idols, or they go to something else that they think is going to bring them comfort. And David is saying, how long are you going to do that? How long are you going to turn away from the one true God when things get difficult? How long with uncertainty in life is that going to cause you to turn from God and to turn to something else that you know is false? So putting that in today's terms, have you ever experienced something like that? Now, this could be anything. It could be a, a decision to be healthier. So let's, you know, I'll just use this for an example. Maybe you made a decision to eat healthier. You know what? I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to eat healthy, and I'm going to cut down the carbs and get rid of all the desserts and the sweets. And for a couple of weeks, it's going great, right? Anyone experienced this? And you're like, hey, this, I can do this. I can do this. But then what happens? Something bad happens. You get in a car accident, or you have a sleepless night, or a kid gets sick, or the something difficult in your finances. All of a sudden, life gets difficult, and the next thing you know, you're like face down in a big bowl of tiramisu, right? You're like, you know, I'm trying to, I, I was doing so good, and then the stress just caused me to run back to that thing. And you think, if God wanted me to eat healthy, he shouldn't have allowed that thing to happen, right? Because that, that caused me to just give up on that. We, I've seen that. I've talked to people who have tried to quit smoking. And they've said, you know what, as long as life was going good, it was manageable. But as soon as any stress came along or as soon as something caught any distress, it caused me to run back to that thing that I knew was comfortable. Or maybe it was something that they knew could numb the pain. We all do that, right? We all do that in some regard. It might not be overeating. It might not be smoking cigarettes. It might, might be overdrinking. It might be alcohol. It might be, you know, it might be media, sexually explicit media that you, you kind of go to, it's kind of your comfort or something to numb the pain that is going on in your life. It might be a former relationship that you used to have that you know is bad news, but there's something about when life gets difficult, you, we all want to go back to what we know and what is comfortable and what can help us feel better in the moment. This is what David is talking about. Distress causes us to run to what makes us feel better. Or at least the thing that we think is going to make us feel better. And I believe that that indicates a real heart check for us. We can be devoted to all the right things when things are going good. But when life gets difficult, where do you run? And I think that thing that you run to really reveals what is a prominent, important place in your heart. That reveals the real source that we look to in times of need. Where you run in distress reveals the source that you view in your life. And David is saying this. David is saying this. In your distress, in your battle, in your anger, in your frustration, it's not a license to just throw your hands up and just run around sinning. It's not a license for sin. It's not a license to seek comfort in a false God. Just don't look for something to numb the pain and to make you feel better. David is saying, how long are you going to do that? Rather, stay focused. Turn to God. Do not sin. Stay focused on what you know is the right thing in times of distress. Verse 5 says this, and this is a verse that I quote in my life all the time, one of my favorite verses says this, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. This is a verse I recite often because it helps me put things in perspective. And what I mean is this. In any situation you face, 
you might be thinking, okay, how do I handle this situation? That verse is the answer. That verse is your first step in any stressful situation. Offer the sacrifices of a righteous, of the righteous man. Another translation says, offer a right sacrifice or a righteous sacrifice. So you can look at any situation and you can break it down and say, okay, what's my job and what's God's job? We spend too much time trying to do God's job, don't we? Trying to fix circumstances that we have no business trying to fix. Instead, what David is saying is, in times of distress, look at it and say, I'm going to offer a right sacrifice, and then I'm going to trust in the Lord. So a right sacrifice is my job. And what does that mean? That means living a life that's committed to God. Be disciplined. Be generous. Be loving. Be serving. Do Pursue righteousness and pursue holiness. Stay faithful to him. This is the way to offer a right sacrifice. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were an important part of worship. People would bring either an animal sacrifice or a har- uh, an offering from their harvest. And what God had set in place was this. I want it to be a good one. I want it to be the sacrifice of a righteous man. I want it to be, you know, the first fruits of the harvest. I want it to not be the, you know, if you're offering an animal sacrifice and you're bringing the runt of the litter, God's going to say, well, no, that's not your best offering. I want your best offering. This is what it was in the Old Testament for a right or a righteous sacrifice. And so those words for us today mean this. How can I offer God my best? In any situation, whatever you're facing today, and I imagine the needs represented in this room vary from, you know, dire to we're filled with joy. All sorts of circumstances that we walk through. And how do we offer God our best? You're facing something this week. You don't know what to do. You're seeking wisdom. You don't, you're like, God, how do I do this? Your first step is just say, God, I'm going to offer you my best. And then what do we get to do? We get to trust in the Lord. We get to trust in the Lord after that. When we offer our best then we get to trust in the Lord. And this doesn't change when we're in distress. There's not a different level of devotion allowed when life gets tough. Your job every day, our role every day is to offer God our best sacrifice. And then we can confidently trust that he's going to help us. There's just something about a life that is lived to honor God that we can find a greater rest knowing that God is going to look out for us. God is walking with us. God is helping us. God is providing for us, that God has a part as well. So this verse, why I love it is, it shows that it's not all up to us. It's not all up to us to fix this circumstance you're going through. God has a part as well. And I said it already, we spend too much time stressing out, worried, because we're trying to fix something that we have no power to fix. That's God's role, right? We trust that God is working in this situation. We spend so much time trying to fix somebody that we, we don't have the power to fix, but that's God's role. We do our best to offer a sacrifice to God. And what that means is, God, whatever step you want me to take, I'll be obedient. God might reveal to you it's time to just stay quiet and pray. God might reveal to you, no, you've got to have a difficult conversation. It might be God's just saying you have to serve this person that you're angry at. Or God might, you know, all these things that might be your right sacrifice. But as far as fixing the situation, God says, that's my job. I'm going to work on that. I'm walking with you. I can do the miraculous. I can provide in miraculous ways. David's instruction to us in times of distress is offer a right sacrifice and then fully put your trust in the Lord. And there's just a rest that comes from that. The song we sang this morning, I will rest 
in your promises. I will find my rest. I will walk through each day just with a supernatural peace, knowing that I'm walking with God and he is moving in this situation. Amen? Can someone relate to that? We're going to continue on. Verse 6 through 8, I'm going to read the final three verses together. And these are some of the benefits, some of the real impacts that this outlook has on our life. David says this, Many, Lord, are asking, Who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. There are a few things in those three verses that I want to point out. David says, many are asking who can show us any good or who will bring us prosperity. Many are looking around saying, where's the answer to this? Where's all the good things for my life that I want? Many are trying to find satisfaction in all the false things. That's what David is talking about. Who can show us any good? They're frantic and they're anxious because they haven't figured this out yet. They're bearing the fruit of a life that is devoted and dedicated to earthly things. And David says, but Lord, let the light of your face shine on us. And then David declares, you have filled my heart with joy. And then it says, when their grain and new wine abound. Other translation says, you filled my heart with more joy than when new wine and grain abound. So in other words, the joy that comes from walking with God is more bountiful than the joy that comes when life is perfect. You got to get that. In the joy that comes from walking with God is more bountiful than the joy that comes when the harvest is plentiful, when new wine abounds, when material possessions are there, when all things are going well. The joy that comes from walking with God is more abundant than the joy that comes when life is perfect. And He fills our hearts with joy, even in stressful situations. He is still there. And this joy is the fruit of a life that has learned to walk with God. It's different than just believing in God. This isn't just, oh, I'm going to sit there. I'm in the midst of a certain situation. I'm just sitting back. God, do your thing. And God, why aren't you handling this better? You know, I, I could do a better job if I were you, God. I don't like how you're doing this. This is not just simply a belief in God. This is a walk with God. This is time in prayer, time in the Word, seeking God. What is my right sacrifice? How can I honor you in this specific instance? This is what David is teaching us. And the joy will be abundant that comes from that. And not only that, he says in verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace. I will lie down at night and I will sleep in peace knowing that God is there protecting me. Now, we don't have we have a very different perspective on that than the writer, than David writing this. In that day and age, it was nations and armies and city walls, and you never knew when a surrounding nation or army was going to come and attack you, but you knew it was going to be in the middle of the night. So there was always this, we got to kind of sleep with one eye open, because if somebody's trying to sneak up on us, we got to be ready for them. Just that constant anxiety, like making sure... I got one eye open for any threats that come my way. Some of us sleep like that now, you know, and we don't really have the threat of armies coming and tearing down our house in the middle of Farmington. But this is the perspective that David would have had. And yet, he says, in the midst of city walls and armies and threats and wars, I will lay down at night in peace, and I will sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. You alone, Lord, 
more than a powerful army or city walls or guards or night watchmen. In our day and age, more than anything we can do to try to fix our problem, you alone, Lord, will help me to lie down and to sleep in peace, for you make me dwell in safety. The faithful care of our God, as Christy talked about last week, the good shepherd, God our Father, he sustains the godly when we wake, when we sleep, and whatever we face during the day. Whatever we face. And this is a tangible thing. This isn't just church speak. I believe in God, and yeah, okay, amen, I believe it, and then it doesn't really impact our life. This is a tangible thing, and that's what I'm praying for each of us this week. I love that line in verse 6, let the light of your face shine on us. And I'll be praying that for my life and my family and every life here. God, this week, let the light of your face shine upon us. I like comparing that to like a sunrise. After a long, cold, dark night, the sunrise just brings light. It illuminates. It brings warmth. It brings comfort. There's just something about a sunrise. Maybe you've laid awake one night sleepless, and then the sun rises, and you just have a different perspective on things. I love thinking about that with that verse, verse 6. Lord, may the light of your face shine on us. I love that it says, may, your, may you lift your countenance upon us. It's actually a prayer from the book of Numbers that David is quoting here in Psalm chapter 4. It was a priestly blessing in the book of Numbers. Um, Lord, and maybe you've heard this in church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is what David is quoting here in verse 6. And actually in verse 6, 7, and 8. So I'm praying that over your situation. Not only that God would bring you comfort, but that you would learn what it means to walk with God in times of distress. This is what the psalm is about. We have a God who is not far off, who is not distant. He hears the cries of his people. We have a God who can move miraculously in situations. We have a tendency to turn to all sorts of other false gods when we face difficult times. But rather, we want to say collectively as a church of God's people, I want to offer a right sacrifice and I want to put my trust in the Lord. So let's take a moment and pray as we close out today. And I want you to just think about whatever distressing situation first pops into your head when I started talking about this. Whatever it is, it might be a big deal, it might be not so big of a deal, but whatever it is that's causing you to lose sleep or to be distressed or causing you to try to run to something that's going to bring you comfort that has no capacity to bring you comfort. And I want you to just allow the light of God's face to shine on that. Lord, let your light shine upon us. Lord, lift your countenance upon us. Turn your face towards us. We need wisdom And God, we want to offer a right sacrifice. We want to do our part, so we want to stay true to your word. We want to stay faithful to you. We want to be obedient in every step that you're calling us to do, whether that's to pray, to to spend more time in the word, whether that's to have a difficult conversation or to take a step of faith. Whatever it is that's causing us to feel anxiety, God, we say we're going to offer a right sacrifice. We're going to be obedient to you, and we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you with the outcome. Our job is to take the step, and your job is to worry about the outcome, and we trust you in that. So whatever situation people are facing today, God, in our distress, we turn to you. We will offer the sacrifices of the righteous, and we will trust in our God.
I pray that you would do that work in each life this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I wanted to close out the service with that blessing that David was quoting. So could we stand together? And you've probably heard this in a church service before. But this was from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24, a priestly blessing that would be prayed over God's people, and I want to pray this over you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today at Homestead. We'll see you next Sunday.